0: Well, if you're not already there, please, if you have your Bible, turn with me now to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. And if you are visiting with us this morning, this is a series that we've been doing for a while now, since December, I believe, is whenever we started our our time in Galatians. And now this morning, this is going to be our, our... our closing out message. This will be the last sermon in the series. Also, if you're a visitor with us this morning and you'd like to follow along in the translation that I'm reading from, you can look in front of you and grab the Pew Bible, which is the ESV, and you can follow along with that. Now, as we begin our time together, pray with me. Our Father in heaven, we come before You once again in our time together. And we ask that You would quiet our minds and our hearts as we now open Your Word before our eyes. Father, these are Your words. And I pray again that as we walk through this passage together, Your people who are sitting before me would hear these words like that, in that way, that they would see and understand that You are speaking to them through Your Word this morning. And Father, I pray that through Your Word, You would build up Your people, that we would be renewed by the that we would continue to be transformed by the renewal of our minds, and that we would continue to be transformed from one degree of glory to the next. Father, may You sanctify Your people by the preaching of Your Word in this moment. And may all of the things that we look at, the things that we see, the things that I say during this sermon, may they make much of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's all about Him as we were looking at in Philippians chapter 2 at the beginning of the service, that every knee would bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I've been trying to... At the end of each series that I've done, which I've only done one other series, long series, which was in Ecclesiastes, at the end of each series I've tried to bring before you all what I have enjoyed most or what I have learned the most from the letter as I have preached through it. So what? It, there, there's a couple of things that have stuck out to me the most as I've been preaching through Galatians. And the first thing that has stuck out to me the most, that I've enjoyed the most, is how this letter fits together. How it builds off of... How each chapter or each section builds off of each other. So like how chapters 1 and 2 lead the way or pave the way. They build up to... Chapters 3 and 4. And then they lead up to, build up to chapters 5 and 6. And so the letter just hangs together. It's very closely knit. It's all tied together to understand what Paul is saying. You need to understand what he's saying throughout the whole letter. So I've enjoyed that. And then the second thing that I've enjoyed, and this is the most, the thing that I've enjoyed the most, is how central and how critical the gospel is for everyday life. Everyday, ordinary, mundane life. Because as a Christian, your identity, who you are, how you are defined, is not in what you do for a living. It's not what you look like. It's in Christ. You, you come to Him. You've been forgiven of your sin. You've been made new, a new creation, as Paul's going to say in this passage. You've been adopted into the family of God. That's who you are. And because of that, you've been filled in Him. Everything that you need is found in Christ. You're no longer empty. You don't have to go around. Seeking satisfaction from other things or other people. It's all within the gospel. It's all within Christ. And that's been so encouraging for me over and over and over again to see that in this letter. It's been very encouraging for me, not only as a pastor, but just as uh, a man, as a human being. And so as I put what I've enjoyed most before you, I hope you would think along those lines as well. What you have learned, what you have gained, from our time in this letter together. Now if you would, just glance with me at verses 11 to 18 as I lay out how we're going to be handling this this passage together. So we've come to the end of the letter. This is Paul's conclusion of the letter to the Galatians. And what he's going to do as he concludes this letter is he's going to be summarizing his main themes, not all of the main themes, but a couple of the main themes that he's been bringing up throughout the letter. So he's going to summarize them in these verses. And this is how it's going to look. In verse 11, Paul is going to validate his letter. He's going to show the genuineness of him writing this letter is from Paul, therefore it's from God. As I've been praying, it's His Word. It's not the Word of men, it's the Word of God. And then in verses 12 and 13, Paul is going to summarize what we've been seeing about the false teachers, the Judaizers, as we've been calling them, that's what they were known as, that's what they're their name was, their group, their sect. He's going to summarize what they're like. And he's going to do this by showing what the false teachers, the Judaizers boast in and why. What their ministry is defined by, what they are known by. And then in verses 14 to 16, Paul's going to compare, he's going to, excuse me, not compare, but he's going to contrast how he is defined, his ministry, the main theme of what he's been showing about himself and his gospel. In other words, what Paul boasts in and why. And then in verses 17 to 18, Paul's going to give his closing verses or his closing words. That's what we're going to see. That's how we're going to handle this passage as we walk through it together. Now, if you would, look with me at verse 11. Let's read the the passage together. In verse 11, Paul says, See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised, that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Amen. Verse 11, Paul validates his letter. So up until this point, as we've been walking through Paul's letter to the Galatians, the way that this letter has been written is that Paul has been kind of sitting to the side dictating this letter. He hasn't been actually writing it with his own hand. And You may be thinking, what? Paul didn't actually write it himself? Well, most of it, no, except for this last part that he says, see that I'm writing to you with my own hand. The majority of the letter was written by a a secretary or a scribe, as they were called, somebody who was skilled in writing. This was their profession. They wrote for a living. Now, that doesn't mean that it doesn't bear Paul's authority, or ultimately God's authority, because Paul is telling this scribe what to put down. So these words are coming from the mouth of Paul, and then the scribe or the secretary is then putting it down on the parchment or the paper. So it's been written or dictated in this way. Up until this point, where Paul says, see with what... Large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It was a normal practice in Paul's day for the majority of the letter to be written by a scribe and then at the very end for the the author, the actual author, to take the pen from the scribe's hand or the, the stylus as it was called and then craft or write the conclusion. That was a common thing in Paul's day. And you can also see this in, in other letters of Paul, like in Romans. You can look at the very end of Romans and you can see that the secretary or the scribe actually names himself. I can't remember what his name is, but at the very, con- at the conclusion of Romans, he says, I, his name there, who wrote this letter, who, who, uh, penned the letter, you know, at the dictation of Paul, I greet you, Romans, Roman Christians. And you can see this in other letters of Paul. This was a normal practice. This isn't something that is unusual. But something that is unusual is the the large letters that Paul calls our attention to. He says, see with what large letters I'm writing to you. So what's the point of the large letters? Why does He call the Galatians' attention to them? And why does He call our attention to them? Which, I mean, you can't see them because in your Bibles they're they're the same size as everything else. But originally, this conclusion, verses 11 to 18, they would have been much larger than the, the rest of the letter. Now why does Paul do this? Well, for two reasons. The first reason is sure You can have confidence in it. The second reason is just more along the lines of speculation. The first reason is for validation. Paul takes the pen from the scribe's hand and he crafts this conclusion to show that, hey, this letter was genuinely written by the Apostle Paul. Galatians, you can trust... That this letter was written or dictated by me. That's one reason for the large letters. This was how Paul wrote. This was his own style of writing. And we see that in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 verse 17. He says there at the end of that letter, he says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of genuineness or validation and every letter of mine. It is the way that I write. So at the end of every letter that Paul dictated or that he crafted, he took the the pen and he wrote with large letters because this is how he wrote and it showed that this is genuinely from Paul because there's a possibility that some people were forging letters in Paul's name. So this is... Proof that this is genuinely from Paul. And as I mentioned earlier, since it's genuinely from Paul, it's genuinely the Word of God. That's how the Galatians were to handle it, and that's how you, all Ald's Chapel, are to handle it. These are God's words that were written down or dictated by the Apostle Paul. And then the second reason, which is more speculation, I don't know if this is 100% true or not. But the reason for why Paul wrote the way that he did, I think Paul tells the Galatians to recognize his handwriting here, his large letters, because they would have known what it was like. He says, see, Galatians, see, or recognize with what large letters I am writing to you. I think the Galatians would have been familiar with how Paul wrote, because you remember previously in the letter we saw that Paul spent a good bit of time with the Galatians. And when he came to them, referring back to chapter 4, he had some type of sickness or ailment, as he called it, with his eyes. You remember he told the Galatians, speaking of their love for Paul, you would have gouged out your own eyes. If that would have worked to help me. Now, is that the reason why Paul writes with such large letters? I don't know. Is that his mark of validation because of that reason? I don't know. Or is it just for emphasis? Either way, whatever's behind it, like I said earlier, this is a sign of genuineness. You know, why ever, why ever Paul chooses to write with large letters? It's written by him and ultimately by God. So this is genuinely from Paul. He validates it. And then he goes on to say in verses 12 to 13, beginning to talk about the false teachers here, describing them, what they're like, what defines them, their character, their ministry, their preaching, their teaching. He says, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh." How does Paul describe these false teachers? How does he describe the Judaizers? What does Paul say these false teachers boast in? What do they glory in? What do they have confidence in? What do they rejoice in? Above all else. We see that in verse 12 and in verse 13. First part of verse 12, he says, It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. Their aim, their goal, is to make a good showing in the what? The flesh. And in the second part of verse 13, Paul says, They desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your Flesh. They rejoice in, they have confidence in, they glory in the flesh. Circumcision, as Paul names here, which is just an, an outward work of the, the Mosaic law, seeking justification or right standing with God through works, through our own accomplishments, through our own fleshly works. That's what Paul's referring to here. Whenever he brings up circumcision, he just names circumcision because this is what, this is one of the main things that they kept putting on non-Jewish believers, non-Gentile, or excuse me, non-Jewish believers who were referred to as Gentiles. That's why he talks about circumcision. But this is just kind of the, the, the crown, the cap over all of it, of all their fleshly works, circumcision. This is what defines these false teachers. And it is what defines their ministry or their teaching. It is all about the flesh. It's all about what you can do. Your outward workings. Your outward obedience. What you can accomplish. What it looks like on the outside. Keeping the law of Moses. Being circumcised. Following dietary laws. You know, what you eat. What you consume. What you do not eat. What you do not consume and etc. We've been seeing that throughout the letter. Paul bringing this up here and there. The false teachers do not embrace justification by grace alone, through faith alone, on the basis of Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. No, instead, this was their motto. And I get this from Acts chapter 15, verse 1. This is the Judaizers speaking here. They say, "Unless you are circumcised, this outward work of the flesh, according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved." That was their motto, that they lived by, that they walked by. You know, not walking by the Spirit, walking by the flesh. Unless you are circumcised according to this outward working of the law, you cannot be saved. That was their motto. That was their banner that flew over their ministry, their teaching. But one of the the funny, one of the ironic things is, is that even though these false teachers boast in the flesh, these fleshly works... Their obedience to the law and in their followers' obedience to the law, Paul says that they do not actually keep the law. So in all of their boasting and flying this banner over their ministry, they don't actually keep it. They're hypocrites. They put a a mask on. And you see that in the second, or excuse me, the first part of verse 13. Paul says to the Galatians, he says, For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law. So even though they preach circumcision, they glory in circumcision, they have their confidence in circumcision, they rejoice in circumcision, they don't actually keep the law. Now, I realize, as I've been saying throughout the course of this letter, you know, we don't boast about circumcision in our day. You know, maybe in the Middle East somewhere they still do, but not today. You know, we boast in church attendance. We boast in how good we look on the outside. Or, you know, I know my Bible so well. I've read it this many times. Or, you know how many people I've helped? You know how much money I've given to the church? You know how good I look? But it's the same thing here. People who boast in those things, they don't actually keep the law that they're walking by. And why? Why is that? Why do they not actually keep the law? And why do people today who boast in law-keeping, whatever it looks like, not able to keep the law? Well, Paul tells us, most plainly, In chapter 3, verse 10, he says, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, referring to the Old Testament, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. You want to live by law keeping? You want to boast in your flesh, your own accomplishments, what you can do? The standard is you have to obey it all. The Ten Commandments and the other 500 plus commandments that are in the law. You have to obey every single one of them. You get one of them wrong, you cancel it all out and you have just failed and you're condemned to death. That's the reason why They can't keep this law. And that's the reason why we still today cannot keep the standard of God whenever we try to boast in our own flesh. The standard is perfection. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, which you all fell at, including me and including these guys. So if they're not really keeping the law, then why are they doing all of this boasting in the flesh? You know, If they're not really genuinely keeping the law, then why do they boast in it? Why do they make such a big deal about circumcision? About what you eat and what you don't eat? Paul tells us in verse 12, He says, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and in continuing in the verse, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. That's the reason. I mean, yes, there's other reasons why they boast in the flesh, but this is the the primary reason according to Paul. They boast in the flesh, they boast in circumcision, They boast in works of the law so that they will not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. The Judaizers do not want to be persecuted for the sake of the cross. Now, why would they, or anybody for that matter, be persecuted for the cross? Why would you face persecution for the cross? Two reasons. First reason, the cross itself. Now, this is kind of hard sometimes for us to remember and to realize in our day because the cross is, it's a very common thing, of course, because of Christianity. But we, it's on rings. We, we have it on necklaces. I mean, I'm, I'm standing in front of one that's posted on our, you know, the backdrop of our church sanctuary here. People get tattoos of the cross. And so it's just it's very common in that way. But in Paul's day, the cross was an object or a symbol of great shame, and it was a horrific torture device. In Paul's day, you did not talk about the cross in good company. So like if you invited friends over to eat, or if you were just hanging out and somebody brought up the cross, it was one of those moments where you're like, don't talk about that. What do you think you're doing? Why do you want to bring that up? You just ruined my meal. You just ruined our fellowship talking about this horrific object of shame and torture. That's how it was thought of in that day. You just didn't flippantly throw out the cross. I mean, the Roman people perfected torture through this device. They killed people with it. And it was so bad, it was so horrific, that a Roman citizen was not even allowed to be killed on it. If you were a Roman citizen, and you, if you were to be put to death, you could not be put to death through the cross. It was that shameful. The cross for, was for the lowest of the low. And so, to, to claim that your Savior, that your King, was crucified on that cross would have been very strange and laughable. They would have mocked you for it, like they mocked very many of the, the first century Christians. It's very strange to say that my, my King, my, my Lord, my God, my Savior, that I worship and that I praise, who is my highest treasure, He was crucified on the cross, that great object of shame and torture. The second reason. You would not have only been persecuted for the cross itself and what it symbolized, what it stood for, but you would have been persecuted for the message of the cross. Now what was the message of the cross? This is the message of the cross. The message of the cross is that this is what you deserve because of your sin against God. So that all of those things that I just described about what the cross stands for, the cross says to you and to everybody who has ever lived, this is what you deserve because of your sin against God. You know, failing that standard that we were talking about a moment ago. That's what you deserve because of your sin. This is what I deserve because of my sin. That great shame, that great torture, and that horrific death, That's what we deserve. You know, when we look at the cross, we are meant to see ourselves there. You know, Christ wasn't on the cross because of His own sin. He was perfect in every way. He loved the Lord, His God, with all His heart, soul, mind and strength. And He loved His neighbor as Himself. But we haven't, and that's what we deserve. All of that horrific shame, all of that horrific torture and that horrific death, that's what we deserve because of our great failure against God first and foremost. But not only does it say this is what you deserve, but it also says that this is the only way for you to escape damnation. This is the only way for you to escape judgment. This is the only way for you to escape death, ultimately the consequences of death, and most importantly the wrath of God. So the cross says, this is what you deserve. And then it says, if you want to escape this condemnation, then you must come through the cross. And what Christ has accomplished for you on it. And again, you would have been laughed at preaching that message. I mean, we still get laughed at in some part today, even though it's relatively easy or easier in our country than some of the other countries, the Middle East, things like that. So those are the two reasons why you would have been persecuted for the cross. And those are two reasons why the Judaizers did not want to have anything to do with saying, this is how you are made right with God. They avoided the cross, they avoided its persecution, and they preached works. Nobody has a problem with that, right? I mean, we like for our egos, we like for our pride to be stroked very much. You have no problem if I come to you and say, you want to be made right with God? Hey, you need to do this, 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 and this. You know, five steps to a new life. We have no problem with that. No culture has a problem with that. What they have a problem with is that you can't do this. You are worthy of death. You deserve it. And the only way that you can escape it is because a man, a God-man, 2,000 years ago died for you. And you must go through Him. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. People don't like that, because that crushes your pride into itty-bitty pieces. and it sprinkles it on the ground. But what about Paul? What does what Paul boast in? What defines his ministry? So, pride in the flesh, boasting in the flesh works trying to be made right with God through what you can do is what defines the Judaizers in their ministry. But what defines Paul and his ministry? What he preaches? What he proclaims? He tells us in verses 14 to 16, And oh Christian, after how I just described the cross, feel the weight of what he's about to say. So, they say, for even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But then in verse 14, but far be it from me. Far be it from me. Get that away from me. But Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. So the very thing that the Judaizers despise and they avoid and other people as well, that's what Paul boasts in. He says... Far be it from me to boast in anything except that. That object of great shame, that object of great torture, that's what I boast in. That's what I glory in. That's what I rejoice in. That's what I have confidence in. It's in the cross and it's in it alone. Now why? Why does Paul boast in the cross? I mean, that's strange, isn't it? After, we, after what I just said about the cross, you know, people just didn't, they didn't even talk about this in good company. I mean, why would you boast in that? Why would you get your confidence in such a horrific object? Paul tells us in verse fifteen. He says, "For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor, uncirc- nor uncircumcision. So works." Works do not count for anything, whether you are circumcised or whether you're not circumcised. Those count for nothing in standing before God as a righteous person. What matters? A new creation. Where do you find the new creation? It's through the cross. It's through Christ and what He accomplished on the cross. We come to the cross, we die with Christ, and then we are raised to new life with Him from the grave, and you are made a new creation. Paul says something similar in chapter 3, verse 20. One of the most famous verses in this letter. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. That's where new creation is found. That's how you become a new person. That's how you are made right with God. That's how you find justification before God. It's through the cross, and that's why Paul boasts in the cross, and that's why he boasts in it alone. You want to know what Paul's battle cry is, you could say? It's the cross. I want you to notice, though, what Paul says in the second part of verse 14. What does he say there? He says. Far be it for me to boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to say, By which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So you become a new creation through the cross, being crucified with Christ, literally, not literally being crucified with Christ, but figuratively speaking, you're crucified with Christ, you're raised with Him to new life, you become a new creation, but... With becoming a new creation, comes a new way of life. And that's what he's referring to here. In the second part of verse 14, he says, By which the world has been crucified to me. What does he mean by that? The world has died to me. The way of the world. That way of thinking, that way of living, being defined in that way, in that fleshly way has been crucified to me. And not only has it been crucified to Paul and to us as Christians, but we are now dead to the world. That's one of the reasons why the world does not like Christians. Your way of life is strange to them. To live in light of the cross, keeping in step with the Spirit of Christ, The world has been crucified to you and you to the world. Not literally, again, but figuratively speaking. And then in verse 16, Paul gives a a blessing. He says, And as for all who walk by this rule, speaking of the new creation rule, those who are justified by grace alone, through faith alone, on the basis of Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. Those who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. The blessing that He he gives here, peace and mercy. He's talking about Christians here. Peace and mercy be upon Christians. Now, I don't have time to unpack this verse like I would like to, like where Paul says, and upon the Israel of God. So that word, and, there, it's translated in the ESV and maybe in the translation translation you're reading as and, but it doesn't mean peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God as if there's two different people groups that Paul's talking about. He's not talking about two different people. He's talking about one people. He's talking about Christians. Christians are the Israel of God. That's what he means here. You, sitting there this morning... If your faith is in Christ, if you are a true Christian, if He is your Lord, your Savior, your highest treasure, you are the people of God. You are the Israel of God. And that's one of the main themes that flows throughout the whole Bible. God bringing a people in for Himself. Calling them by His own name. Purchasing them. By his son, by his blood, and filling them with his spirit. It's Christians. This blessing is for Christians, the ones who walk by the rule of a new creation in Christ, and not by works of the law. Now just this listen as I I'm gonna read through these, these uh four texts that I have. They all come from Galatians. Paul talking about how you are the people of God. This is you that he's talking about. Galatians chapter 3, verses 7-9. to He says, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Galatians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. Galatians chapter 3, verses 27 and 29. For as many of you We're baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs, according to promise. And then Galatians chapter four, verses four to seven. If you are in Christ, you are the Israel of God. You are His people. One people. There is no separate people. As he says there, there's no Jew nor Greek. There's no slave nor free. There's no male nor female. Talking about distinctions. You're one in Christ. So I ask the critical question. Oh, do you know Him? Do you know Christ? And when I say, do you know Him, I don't mean do you know things about Him? Facts. Is He your Lord? Is He your Savior? Is He your greatest treasure? Above all things. My joy, my happiness is found there in Christ at the cross. And that's why, like Paul, that's where my boast is. To know Christ is to have peace and grace, as He says there in His blessing. Or excuse me, not grace, but peace and mercy. And if you do not know Christ, you have the opposite. You do not have peace with God, but you have enmity with Him. And if you do not have mercy from God, then you will face His wrath one day because of your sin which you so much deserve. Romans 3.23 For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everybody. Everybody. If you're not in Christ, you have the opposite of peace and mercy. And then we come to Paul's closing verses in verses 17 and 18. Where he says in verse 17, From now on let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. You remember one of the main themes in this letter is that people were criticizing or accusing Paul of his gospel and his character. He was a fake. He displeases people. But look what he says there. He says, from now on, you know, after I've written you this letter and I've said all that I've said, let no one cause me trouble. You know why? Because I bear on my body the true marks of Jesus. It's not circumcision, but it's being persecuted for the sake of the cross. Those are the marks of Jesus. Not circumcision, but bearing shame and persecution for the name. That's what he's saying there. And then verse 18. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Now in that last verse, Paul closes the letter very much like he opened it speaking of the grace of our lord jesus christ he's calling upon the grace of the lord jesus christ to be with these christians with the galatians and it's true for you as well paul is calling that calling upon the grace of the lord jesus christ that it would be with us that it would fill us that it would define us and so i say with the apostle paul as we close out this letter the grace of our lord jesus christ be with your spirit all chapel bible church amen let's pray together father we come before you and oh we thank you for paul's letter to the galatians ultimately your word I thank You for the great truths that are here that have not only blessed my soul, but I know that have blessed the soul of Your people. And I pray that it would continue to bless them as they read it continually in their own time, in their own homes, with their own Bibles. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.